Welcome back to the fourth podcast in our Glory Sermon series. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed every Sunday at 10 a.m. from our YouTube channel. Bruce Bentley is continuing our series with a sermon titled, To the Praise of His Glory. I have a picture, I think, up here to share. Where is it? I had a picture, do you know? Ah, there it is. All of the words are jumbled together. But what that says is Tuahi Circle Fellowship Friends uh, in Mission and White River, South Dakota. So just a really quick update. I was over there in South Dakota for two days, one night, a real fast weekend kind of trip. Uh, part of that was important because the organization I'm a part of called Lakota Journey, which we talk about occasionally, I'm on their board, and so we have an annual meeting. But part of that is just being with friends to, to encourage and be encouraged by these guys. Now, I'm sure you can't see it from where you're sitting, but I am a master photographer. I really am. Uh, I can do amazing things with a camera. So I took a picture of Randy and Paul. They are to your left and both of them had their eyes closed. And that was the only picture I had. So you can't see it, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, we're standing there on the deck of the church. Oh, that looks better. Uh, and, and the right, the picture on the right, that's the deck that they're standing on. Uh, it's a building there in White River. So now they're doing two services, one in Mission in the morning, and then in White River in the afternoon. So it's kind of like satellite church res style, okay? Uh, and we hope to continue, we as being City Annie Hill Church, continue to be a part of their ministry to support and encourage uh, in a number of different ways. Now the gals to your right, uh, they've been here for church different times in the past. Maybe you've met them, maybe you haven't. Uh, Laura is on the higher step and Bree is on the lower step. So they are involved in leading a Bible study in a little community called Parmalee. Uh, so I keep throwing out these names, but it's close to where I'm at right here in White River uh, with some teenagers, the guys and gals. Uh, a lot of, most of them are high risk. You, you would call them that because of lifestyles and where they live. Uh, but some really cool things are happening because of these two gals and other leaders, of their consistency. They just keep on loving these kids, being a part of Bible study and uh, taking them to conferences and retreats and camps. Uh, some awesome things are going on. So I, well, I'll invite you to prayer in just a second. But So they're holding this box. It says a toaster oven. So a gift from City on a Hill is that toaster oven that I took out to them this past weekend. So the oven that they were using in the space where they have Bible study quit working, and they usually put in some frozen pizzas, something hot, you know, for the kids that are coming, part of the Bible study, to eat that night. And they didn't have an oven, so we supplied a toaster oven, okay? So I it's brand new. I hope it works. And if it doesn't work, I told them to tell me, and, and we'll get something else. But it's kind of portable and good for their needs. So all that to say, keep praying. And it just so happens that we have a regular time to pray that Bill has been hosting for a while now, and it is next Sunday, right? Always the second Sunday of the month. Uh, around 9 o'clock, right? 8.30 is better. 
<laughs> and come, we meet right out here in the fireside, fireplace room uh, of this building. So come early, you hear a little more about what's going on, and be uh, motivated, inspired to pray, Just not just for that at that time, but all throughout the week. These people need your prayers, and they need to know that uh, they are being supported by our church. So come next week and be a part of praying for them. And uh, we're going to pray in just a second, but I'm going to encourage you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. If you have it, if you don't have one, we've got extra copies there in the back. We are in this series called, and is that this next slide here? There we go, glory. In the last three weeks, we have been delving into different passages in Scripture, trying to fill in the blanks and be uh, inspired and be filled up with the glory of God. So what we have looked at is in the presence of the eternal living, wonder-filled God, uh, in God's Son, our Savior and Redeemer. And now we take a look in Ephesians 1 at the finished work and future hope of Jesus Christ. Huge theological ideas. And we're going to land on just one passage this morning that will begin to fill this in for us. Now, there is a verse in, in the book of Psalms, 119, verse 105, that speaks of God's Word being a light to my path. Maybe you've heard that verse before. Uh, there, even, even this morning as we sang, we didn't plan this out. The songs that we were singing uh, emphasized a couple things. If you didn't catch it, I'll bring it out for you. In one, in one idea, in one sense, on one side, we were singing this morning of the glory of God. And the glories of God came out in what we were singing about, okay? And all, and all that is part of worship, bringing our eyes up to see God. A few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 29. And uh, the psalmist says, that in, in your temple, all cry out glory. Eyes are up. There's no physical temple at the time. The temple is the universe, the earth around us. And we're surrounded by the glories of God in the storm, in the lightning, in the wind, in, in creation itself, the psalmist gives us a taste of the movement of God that comes into our lives, and then there's nowhere else to go, and there's nothing else but to say glory. Glory to God. So we started that with that in worship, and then we moved to another song about a vapor. What in the world does that mean? So if you're... <laughs> If you're concrete thinkers and you think about those words and maybe it leaves you frustrated, but there is a, and when that song that we sang, it brings out mystery. There is something about the glory of God and who God is that no matter how much uh, information, no matter how much cognitive stuff we get from the Bible about God, there's always something more to His glories, to His wonder, to His holiness, to how He works, to how He redeems. There's a mystery that surrounds who He is and even how we interact with Him that, that always brings us back to the point, or should bring us back to the point of humility. The more I know, the more I wonder. The more I understand from what He's revealed to me in His Word, the more I still have to go back and say, there's so much more. There's so much more mystery 
and wonder to a holy God who lives and who does things that are beyond my ability to fully comprehend, to fully grasp, fully understand. So that verse about your word is a light to me, I think this picture captures it well because we like we we uh, we approach typically we approach the Bible relationship with God that kind of a kind of a demand basis. You know, now that I'm considering who you are, God, you are going to come through for me by giving a light that floods everything. So now there's no more doubts. There's no more questions. Now I get you know all my questions that I could possibly give or or offer are answered. Right. That's kind of what we expect from God. And his word says it's more like this, that I'll give you enough as you need the questions, uh, the, the answers, the questions we have, but there's still a mystery surrounding. There's still an area that we can't see or comprehend clearly. That's uh, it gives us a better picture of how God works for us and with us. All right, you with me so far? So back to this idea of wonder and glory and seeing God's glory, and especially in the way that Jesus has worked and, and his uh, redemptive work on our behalf. Part of that this morning we're going to try to grasp onto in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. But at the same time, even the writer repeatedly says it's to the praise of your glory. In other words, the more I hear, the more I understand of my relationship with you, the more I just have to look at you and say, God, you're great. You're wonderful. You're worth it all. You're worthy of worship. I want to wonder in you more. And that's really the glories of the gospel. The more you get, the more you want. Brothers and sisters, friends, I want that for our church. As we glory in who Jesus is and what he's done, it feeds us and it burns in us and it reveals things in us and we just want more of it because there's so much more to have of his, of his gospel, of his glory, uh, and, and the wonders surrounding him. So with that in mind, uh, before we come to read the passage, I want to pray again. And, and here's what I want to do. I want to give just a few moments of silence, so that wherever you're at, if what I said stirs something in you and you say, yes, God, I want to keep moving forward. I want more of your glory. I want to be hungry for more of it. Then pray that, okay? And if you're in a place where I don't get it, it, any of it and I don't understand this, then be real. I just challenge you to be real with God with that too. And say, I just don't get it. If you are out there and you are real, then do something in me. So will you do that wherever you're at, just a few moments, and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would work again in your living, 
word. It's, it's active, it's powerful, it can do things in us that we can't do for ourselves. And my voice and my thoughts, all of that falls short. But your word doesn't fall short. So I ask, Lord, humbly that you would work in, in a new way to slice into our hearts and expose things in our hearts and minds that need to be exposed and work again in a wonder-filled way so that we'd see you, the veil would be lifted, and we'd come to know you in a brand new and deep and wonderful way so we'd want even more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll read, uh, starting at verse 3, I divided up into, into three different sections. And uh, just briefly this morning, wow, we'll just touch on a, a, a few things here. Because there are a number of questions that we have when we read this passage. Which is another reason why I chose it. It brings up all sorts of things about destiny and, and the sovereignty of God and how God works. Uh, as you read it, honestly, it, you come away with more questions than answers. But numerous times in this passage, glory to God, praise to his glory. It's all for his glory. Uh, it, it hopefully will bring us along with the writer, Paul, and in that kind of uh, understanding. So, Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Glory in Jesus, because number one, in those first few verses we see this, we are chosen by the Father. It means exactly what it says. God, believer, brother and sister, God chose you. Predestined. He chose us, God the Father chose me, as Paul says, in Him. In other words, in Christ. The glory of the eternal Father, of God Himself, God Almighty, includes His choosing me. And those verses go on to say, He predestined, He chose me for adoption. That's what He says in verse 5. He predestined us for adoptions as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Nothing is by accident. One of the greater mysteries of Scripture and how God works is right there. What I just read in verse 5. How in the world does that actually happen? And, and how does it work? Okay, Predestined, another way to say it is determined. Okay, That before everything was, before the universe, the heavens, the earth, before any of us were around, God in Christ, because this passage is also very Trinitarian, God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, and we'll see that in our, our simple little outline. They're all in it together. They're all eternal. They're all at work together in this perfect fellowship, uh, perfect harmony of what God is doing in His plan. They're working on it together. So God in Christ planned before He ever formed you to do something wonderful in you. 
that brings you back to him. That was his purpose. He, he made you, and the scripture uh, uh, tells us about how he, he made you, he, he knew you even in your mother's womb. There was something in part of his plan that, that made you, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Scripture says that alone is something awesome to consider. Yet, that's not even the greatest, the most awesome thing that he did in his plan for you, believer. Okay? You, follower of Jesus Christ, there's something greater. He loves you as he created you, but there is a greater love in the fact that he made you and allowed you to do what you wanted to do which was not in harmony with God's perfect plan and his purposes, was actually in rebellion uh, to reject God's plan when we all did our own thing the way that we wanted to do it. And then God says, I love you so much that my plan before you ever failed in the first place was to adopt you, to bring you back. What could be greater than that? Not only creating this wonderful plan and purpose to know you and to love you, but also to have a purpose to choose you. You weren't just, or God wasn't stuck with you, uh, but you are created to be a part of a family that buys you, that he buys you back into his eternal plan and purpose and family. There's nothing, I don't think, in all of Scripture that is so powerful and so wonderful than just that simple fact. He chose to adopt you, believer, to bring you back into his family. Now, some people read this passage and other passages like it. We, we read from Romans 8 this morning that also mentions um, a determined plan, a, a predestination that's going on there. Now, that, like I said, there's wonder in this. It brings up other questions, right? Some people read it and think, well, I'm pretty special, right? I, I deserve it in some sense. Because God chose me and chose to love me, so there must be something better about me because I am chosen. And it's too bad, and you know, people wouldn't, you know, well, some people do actually say that. But most people don't. They just think it. Or they reason that way. They go there. That there must be something better about me as opposed to the other people that I see around me or I have to work with or that I engage with. Maybe I don't engage, but I see on the street. Uh, there, there is an attitude that some Christians get that kind of lead us into, well, the wrong place. So, what kind of people? And Scripture is filled with examples. I just want to give you three real quick. When it comes to the Father choosing, when it comes to the Father sending, uh, when it comes to the Father extending kindness, love, or compassion, what are the kinds of people that the Father does that for. So, three different uh, examples that I want to give to you, and they're all from the original Testament. His plan includes, number one, the dirtiest and not the cleanest. He sends, he goes and redeems, he goes and extends compassion to what we would consider the dirtiest and not the cleanest. If you look at the story of Jonah and consider who it was that Jonah was called to go to, to extend compassion, to give one more chance to repent. Jonah is sent to Nineveh, to the Ninevites, right? You ever heard that word? Uh, that idea, that, that people group? 
Uh, we looked at this a, a while ago when we went through the book of Jonah. It, when you hear Nineveh or Ninevites, equate that with ISIS. And that, that gives you the best possible picture of, of who these people were, what they were known for, how they lived. Now, if God sent, if God called you to go to ISIS to give them one more chance to repent, what would your initial reaction be? You don't have to say it out loud, it's rhetorical. But think about it for a second, okay? Think about what's going on in, are you kidding me, right? Uh, at great risk to myself, to a people group known for what they're known for. Uh, when you consider the fact that Jonah tried to run for God and we get used to that story, and like, well, you know, whatever. But I think there are a whole lot of us would run just like Jonah did. I, I really, I'm convinced of that. God called Jonah to the people group that no one would go to, and if they get judged and condemned and wiped out by God, great, the world's a better place. That's the initial reaction. God sends people to those very people that no one wants to go to and still gives opportunities to come back. Isn't that awesome? It's not just the Ninevites. It's not just ISIS. It's us. God sends and calls and redeems a people for himself that don't deserve it. Really, the dirtiest, not the cleanest. Also, the least and not the greatest. King David, you've heard his name. A good-looking guy, accomplished guy. How did he start off? Not the one that everybody would think would be the greatest. He's the youngest of his brothers. He is the least in the family. 1 Samuel 16 tells us a story of how God uh, took Samuel to go out and to find the next king. He looks at all the brothers. God says it's none of them, and Samuel can't believe it. Think of how we judge people, unconsciously even. How we judge people, maybe even within the church. I'm looking at somebody, but I don't think they're that great because, and you can make the list. Maybe somebody's looking at you like that. How does God look at us? We would be gone. We'd be dead if he looked at us like that. He told Samuel, and he told all of us for all time, that he looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside, the outward, the external appearance. Not with God. Even the least can be the greatest in God's perspective as God redeems us and calls us to His plan and purpose. And number three, the weakest and not the strongest. Uh, in just a few weeks, we're going to start the book of Ruth. And I've been reading it over and over again and trying to get some other perspectives on the book. Uh, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to, to get your Bible. It's like, what, four or five chapters? It's short. Uh, but it, what a story of God in the midst of chaos at that time choosing to do a new thing to bring hope for everyone, uh, choosing to do that through someone and a family that is, is the least, that is the weakest, that people that would, you would throw out on the garbage heap of history, they do not matter in the midst of the chaos and yet God does something strong 
through those weak people that are cast out and ignored and forgotten. That's how God works today. Do you ever think about that? These people or those people that you would think, uh, not so important, uh, they don't bring anything to the table. What is God about to do with those people that have nothing? They're the least of these that don't bring anything immediately to the table. They don't have the finances. They don't have the fancy gifts, but they've got themselves, and God is doing something. Are we aware? Do we think in the way that God thinks? These are the kinds of people that God extends compassion to, that he shows kindness to, that he's bringing back into his plan and purpose. So we glory in Jesus because we are chosen by the Father. We're going to go on to read the next set of verses here, starting at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul is known for his run-on sentences, right? It just keeps going and going. And your brain is like, let's stop halfway through and think about that. We don't have the time to think about everything that he begins to present here, but we sure are going to consider what he has lavished on us through the work of Jesus to redeem us. This talk of adoption, adoption even in real life today is not cheap, right? Adoption in God's sense certainly is not cheap. It cost him everything through Jesus we have redemption. He buys us back, Paul says, through his blood. The currency in this transaction is his life. And this morning, again, we glory in what Jesus did as he gave his life for us. Just, I'll give you a few examples that are, just, that are wonder-filled, that are glorious as we consider what Jesus did. As we look at the cross, John 19, verse 30, uh, John gives us the last words that Jesus spoke from the cross. Do you know what they are? It is finished. When you stop, it gives me chills every time I read that verse. All of God's plan, everything that needed to happen was done. There was nothing left undone. There was no, oh, I forgot that, or I forgot these people, or I forgot nothing like that. Jesus on the cross, when he cries out at his finish, it's not about his life on the cross ending as much as it is about everything that God purposed has now been brought to completion and then there is a new reality that is beginning through his blood from the cross. Uh, even back up uh, a, a few steps here, Matthew 27 verse 46, consider that as Jesus finished the work, he had to be separated from the Father. Jesus calls out, why do you forsake me? Father, why do you forsake me? The mystery and the wonder of how God works, God was perfectly united within himself and the Trinity, and there's something mysterious that, that scholars and interpreters still stumble on. There is that moment on the cross in the darkness that covers the earth where there is somehow, I don't know how you measure, how you, how you 
quantify it, but Jesus realizes because the sin of the world is on Him on the cross and the, the perfect uh, relationship that He has always had with the Father is severed. To some degree, to some extent, perfection is soiled by your sin and my sin. And He knows it. Why have you forsaken me? The relationship we've had for eternity past has suddenly been changed. That's what sin does. So he's God, and yet he's somehow separated from God. He is perfectly man, uh, God incarnate, God and man, but there is something that happens there that we struggle to grasp that the reality of the pain and what he had to endure for us to redeem us back. Luke 23, 45. Uh, Luke is, the, I think, the only gospel writer who gives us this quick snapshot of one of the immediate consequences or results. When Jesus cries, uh, it is finished on the cross, he breathes his last. And then Luke tells us that in the temple in Jerusalem, there's this massive curtain hanging there that separates this holy place where a lot of the rituals take place from the holy of holies, the, the place the most holiest place in the temple where a priest can go only once a year to offer that blood on, for atonement for the sins of the people on the altar only once. The perfect, most holy place that Noah can go to. And the, and the uh, curtain that separates that place is ripped in two. God takes it and rips it, opening up a way for everyone to come into a perfect and even holy, a sanctified, a set-apart, that's what the word means, set-apart, perfect relationship with God, not on our own merit, but what Jesus did on the cross. It is finished. Come in and be with me. Like we looked at uh, in the last couple of weeks, the veil is lifted. No more fear. No more judgment. No more condemnation. We can glory in the fact that He did it all. He opens the way for us to be and to know and to fellowship with the God of gods in all of His holiness, uncompromised, come down and be with us to open the way for us. The Roman centurion, Matthew 27, 54, he, he doesn't know anything, probably anything, about the Jews and their religion and their rituals, yet he stands there next to the cross and he says, truly or surely, this was the Son of God. He is standing on holy ground as these things take place. A pagan, used to the temples and the rituals and the sacrifices of a pagan Roman society, yet he is in the presence of Jesus. And he says, this has to be God. Have you been in that moment, in that holy moment, where you glory in the presence of God, where you're drawn in and you be with Him and you realize, I don't have all the answers. Maybe I know squat about any of this, but I've just met with God. That's what He does. That's what happens when the glory of God is unleashed on people who reject Him. Yet there's something undeniable in the presence of God that you just have to say, this is God. The glory of God. So we cry out glory to God. One more passage, or part of the passage here, starting at verse 11. In Him. Have you noticed that? How many times he keeps saying, in Him, in Him. Duh, wake up. It's Jesus time, okay? The focus is on what Christ has done in Him. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined 
according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to, once again, to the praise of his glory. We are chosen by the Father. We're redeemed through the blood of Christ. And finally, we are sealed by the Spirit. We read those verses. What does it mean to be sealed okay, by the Holy Spirit? He, he is the guarantee of not only what's happening now, this is legit, our new life in Christ, but the, the, the guarantee of the full-blown inheritance. Where does this adoption as God's child lead me to or lead me towards? What is go- what's the bigger picture? What's the end game thing going on here? That's what Paul addresses briefly in, this, in these verses. Now, to be sealed, to be, uh, to be guaranteed, there is, uh, in ancient times, there was a down payment that had to be paid. If you're in trading and that's part of your business and you want to get your goods from port A to port B, and especially knowing that it was pretty sketchy uh, doing anything maritime uh, in ancient times, there would be a down payment paid. I guarantee, no matter what the sea does or the ship does, somehow I'm giving you a down payment to guarantee that my goods and my stuff is going to get to your port, okay? That we're going to make that business transaction. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my stuff into your hands. That's, That's behind this word here, this guarantee, Something else is kind of interesting. Uh, that's, that's ancient times. Modern Greek is different. You learn a Koine original or a, a common Greek a New Testament. You try to go to Greece and read stuff. You're going to be sadly disappointed. <laughs> Doesn't it won't make sense. A lot of the letters look the same, but in modern Greek, it uses uh, modern this modern word that's in ancient times and uses it for engagement ring. Okay. So I have another picture for you. Those are two 20, this is what, 28 years ago, okay? Uh, that's my hand, that's Jennifer's hand. I get to embarrass Jennifer because she's not here right now. She's in Iowa. She'd you know, hate this if she's here, but she's not here and she's probably not streaming. So I'm going to talk about her a little bit. So it was around this time, 28 plus years ago, it was in the fall. It was in Ames, Iowa, where she was a student, Iowa State. We've been dating for a while, and I bought a ring, and I wanted to propose to Jennifer. So uh, we go out for dinner. We go to a place that she likes, and if you know Jennifer, she always orders a plain cheeseburger. Wherever she goes, if you ever go out with her, that's, you know, oh, let's go to this fun place. They have whatever. She's not going to order it. She's going to order a plain cheeseburger. So I wanted this night to be memorable. So I insisted that she order something other than a plain cheeseburger. And she still holds it against me to this day. And that's okay, because I would say that even if she was here. But anyway, she ordered something different. She didn't know why I was being such a jerk about that. Uh, and then we had dinner, and then we go out, and there's this huge park in, in Ames. And when I find the spot where, I don't know how long, how much time it passed, a year or whatever, uh, the spot in that park where I first told her I loved her. And I wanted this engagement proposal thing to be significant 
because it was at that time where I first confessed my love to her, and then I wanted to extend that to the next step in our relationship. So I got down on a knee, and I pulled out that ring and told her, yep, here's where I said I loved you, and now I want to say I love you forever. It was something like that. Um, and I gave her the ring, and she said yes. And the rest is history, right? And uh, this coming March will be 28 years, I think. I have to start doing the math. So that's all romantic, wishy, gushy, whatever stuff, whatever the word is. Isn't that nice? That ring became my effort to say, this is my guarantee. I'm not just saying stuff to be romantic and to get a kiss. I'm saying this because I am making a promise to you. This ring means something. It's not just a random gift. I intend to marry you and keep you as my wife as long as I live. And it began with the giving of that ring. This is my guarantee that what I say matters. And that's all romantic stuff, right? Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at you and decide to send the Holy Spirit if you look good enough? Because that's part of our, you know, man-woman attraction, right? <laughs> Can't get past that. I was attracted to Jennifer. It isn't all godly thoughts, okay? I wanted to marry her, and it all gets mixed up in the attraction, all the good stuff, and whatever. When God looks at us, He doesn't look at you and set you apart because of the warm fuzzies in here. And that's a good thing, right? Because that wouldn't last very long in our relationship with Him. Because there would come a time if God treated us the way we treat each other, like, I'll take that ring back now. Sorry, <laughs> this isn't going to work out. Because now I know what you're really like, and uh, I don't want all of that. I mean, that happens too today, right? But God doesn't base what he's doing, his guarantee, on romantic, wishy-washy notions. He knows you. He knows every part of you, whether you want him to know that or not. He sees you. He knows everything. And yet, as a part of his redemptive work, because of what Jesus did and the blood that was shed for you on the cross, he goes on to say, you know what else? Because I chose you and you were never all that great looking or all that wonderful in the first place. It's not based on any of those things that are surfacy or external, the things that are going to fade. I simply chose you to put my guarantee on you. It's God's engagement ring on the heart. And it's not based on anything you could do or anything you might fail to do. I choose you. And you know what's so glorious about Scripture? This, this, this metaphor of, of marriage and how God chose us and the different roles that are played within this you know, marriage relationship with Jesus. You know it's just so awesome that we need to be reminded of every once in a while? I'm going to remind you of it this morning. God's redemptive purpose, it doesn't end uh, in oh humdrum whatever uh, it, or in a... In a in a ceremony that is temporary or superficial. Revelation 19 uh, shows us 
all these metaphors and all these things that God is doing and this guarantee, this ring, this guarantee in your heart, it ends with the marriage feast of the Lamb. There is a point, well, it's not, it doesn't end there either, but it brings us to that point. Let me say it like that. What God is doing brings us to the point that we get to celebrate the wedding. So in a sense, it's consummated. We get to be with Jesus forever and ever. Revelation 19, John is given this vision, starting at verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Can I I just stop there for a second? No one goes to Jesus dirty. Whatever you've done or whatever has happened to you, the blood of the Lamb covers all of it. There is nothing in you that that should say when you read that, oh, but I'm not going to be ready or something's going to come up short or uh, I'm still incomplete. Jesus completes us perfectly and cleanses us to this pure and wonderful uh, new reality before Jesus. There is no fear and there's no questioning and there's no worry. I'm I'm still not good enough. Jesus makes you good enough. He clothes you with this perfect pure linen he talks about. To come before him in this marriage feast means that he has done everything to set up this banquet and you just get to show up and enjoy it. It's just, that's the picture that John sees that we get to be a part of. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Don't you ever doubt what he says here. That is the destiny forever for all who call on Jesus as Savior. In him, the glory is a finished work. I hope this morning there's something in you that stirs, something that the reminder for those of you who are believers brings you back to see a little bit of his glory again. And for those of you that are still questioning and wondering, is this legitimate? Take a chance. Take a step towards Jesus. If these things are true that you wish they were, take him up on it. Respond to him. Even say it however you would say it. In your own words, it may, be, it may sound confusing or weird. But Jesus, I want to believe this. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to understand. Open up my eyes. Come into me. Finally bring uh, all my questions to their final yes in you. Talk to him. However, whatever is going on in your heart, be real with Christ. Now, all those verses that we looked at, they either say explicitly or implicitly what's going on here in his glorious plan. Because we are in him, because of what Christ Jesus has done, we are predestined. God has had a plan always and forever for you. Uh, we have been redeemed 
by his blood. We've been bought back. We are adopted full legal rights as his child. We're not just partial kids. We, we have full access to the Father anytime we want. And we get his inheritance. There is no question or no doubt about that. And because he has set that in motion, he is going to complete the work that he has started. And that's really what sanctification means. He has set you apart for greater, more wonderful things that finally, as we just looked at in the book of Revelation, leads us to ultimate perfect purity and perfection because of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we want to, we need to, we want to open our eyes and see again uh, your glory in what you have done, what you've accomplished in the cross and all these things we've just mentioned. We thank you for the power of your word. I would just close with this, Lord, to keep, I ask, I humbly uh, beseech that you would continue to do a new work in us. Draw us into your presence so that we cry out holy, that we cry out glory, that we cry out, Lord, I need you. I don't understand. I don't have all the questions yet, Lord Jesus. I want to trust you right now to believe that you are what I need. Lord, work in us in a new, in a fresh way. We are grateful you are the God of new things. Continue to do new things in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're continuing our series, Glory. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including Faith Works and Finding Jesus in Ecclesiastes. For upcoming events, check out our website at mycityonhill.org.